0: Tonight, we're going to be in the book of uh, Romans. Uh, We're going to focus primarily on Romans chapter 10. We're going to read a few verses at the end of uh, Romans 9, but we're going to spill over into chapter 10. And tonight, I want to talk about desire and prayer. And it comes kind of out of our text tonight, because you notice in the very first verse, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And we talked about last night, difference makers are just simply indifferent. And so tonight, I kind of want to pick up on that same theme, and I want to talk about Paul just for a moment. Because here was a man that, I guess, arguably the greatest missionary Christian that ever walked the face of the earth apart from Jesus Christ himself. He did more Uh, He went more, he probably suffered more, gave more, planted more, preached more, just whatever word you want to throw at him, his heart was on fire for God. And so, to see Paul with the heart of passion that he had, it just really, you know, it makes me just step back and say, okay, what is it that this man had that... We all need. Certainly the answer is Jesus Christ. That's what empowered him. That's what drove him. The the love of God that was living in and through him. And he was certainly a difference maker in his day. In Philippians it said, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And when you've got that mentality, you realize that even if the world takes your life, You've gained eternity in the presence of the one that gave life. The one that holds all things together. The one that through him all things consist. And the ones that empower us to do you know, the things that we do each day. And, and But Paul, just with that humility that he had, uh, I just began to, to really pray uh, last week. And I told uh, Corbin and Mr. Jack, who were just... Absolute prayer warriors, dear friends of mine. I talked to them this afternoon because this has been a day that, I'm telling you, Satan has been on fire today. Everywhere I turned, problems. I walked in and Jody said, I don't know what's going on. I can't get anything to work. I said, don't worry about it. I said, Satan's at work, but we serve a God that's far greater. And so, I just asked tonight, before we go any further in our text and before we dive in, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And you as believers, I'm I'm just going to ask this tonight, that in your prayer, silently in your pew, that you pray that the Holy Spirit of God invade this place and bind Satan outside of these walls so that God can do what He desires to do, whatever that may be, and that His name is glorified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just come to you tonight, God... Knowing all day that you want to do something, God, as you always do. God, your mind is so much greater than ours. God, we can't understand what you're always up to. But but God, I know this. Today, every turn, everywhere we've gone, there's been opposition. God, there's been a resistance, God, to to what you want to do. And, And God, I know that when your spirit is working, God, our arch enemy, Satan himself, God, that His attention is drawn. God, to to do whatever He can do within His power. God, to prevent the Word of God from going forth, to prevent people from coming to know Jesus Christ, and to prevent, God, people being revived. And so, God, tonight, we realize the attacks of the enemy. And, God, we rebuke them in the name of Jesus Christ. And, God, I pray tonight, God, whatever You choose to do, God, You do it. And God, no one can resist the hand of God in what you choose to do because you're God. So God, I just pray tonight, God, as we preach, as we teach, God, that your word comes alive. life, God, that a spark lights a fire. God, not for anything of, of my glory, God, or anybody's in this place's glory, but for the glory of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that said, I am that I am. God, to you be all praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up tonight at the end of Romans 9. And we're going to look, um, I'm going to pick up in verse 29 and then I'm going to read over into chapter 10. But it says, and as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom, and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, but have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. So they you see there's a law uh, which is of faith. And then you see a law, it says, of righteousness. It says, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, which we know is Jesus Christ. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now Paul goes into talking here to what's really on his heart. He says, brethren, what a a word of of endearment, what a word of love. Remember, Paul was a Jew. And his heart's desire was that all of Israel be saved. To give you a quick recap on the book of Romans, you know, early in the book, Paul is, is talking about Jews and Gentiles, and he goes through just a marvelous text through the first six chapters, and he brings everybody down in chapter 6 to a place where he says we're all guilty, we're all under sin. And then he moves into chapter 7, which where Paul says that, look, he says, I know what I'm supposed to do mentally, I, I really know what I'm supposed to do, but he says I find myself not doing it. Everybody know what I'm talking about. all right? And then he says at the end of chapter 7, he says he sees this war going on in his flesh, in his members, because intellectually he knows what is right and what he's supposed to do, but he finds himself not doing that. And then he, he gets down to the end of chapter 7, and he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this state that I'm in? And then the answer comes, Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation, to those that are in Christ Jesus. So he says, you know, my salvation is in Christ. My assurance is in Christ. Because now, you know, the things that I know that I shouldn't do, that I find myself doing, all of a sudden there's there's one here that is acceptable in God's sight. One that is pure, one that is holy, one that has provided the way of deliverance for me. And then he goes on through chapter 8 and he talks about He says, you know, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So tonight, if you're absent of life and peace, you need to find Jesus. Because that's what Paul said, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I get distraught a lot of times worrying about what sermon to preach. I mean, that's, that's my nature. I try and fight it. Corbin and Brother Jack pray for me all the time. Brother Jack said, how long have you been doing this now? Fifteen years and you still struggling? I still struggle. That's just an insecurity that I deal with and I battle. But still, you know what Paul does? He comes down... Now, and he, he talks about through chapter 80s. He's, he's talking about this war, you know, that's there that has been overcome through Christ. And then he gets into chapters 9, 10, and 11, and he begins to think about those people that were so near and dear to him. In chapter 9, I'm going to read the, the, a couple of verses. You don't have to look there, but it's, it's uh, Romans 9 chapter 1, or or verses 1 and 2. It says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me a witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul says, you know, I wish I could be accursed and separated from Christ for their sake. You know, that's an impossibility because when we're in Christ, we're in the palm of His hands and we're secure for eternity. And so it wasn't possible, but but yet Paul was saying, he said, you know, I wish the Lord would damn me if it meant their salvation. That's what his heartbeat was. He was so passionate about wanting to see his own kinsmen come to Christ. And so he goes through chapter 9 and he talks about the sovereignty of God. And now, when we get to chapter 10, finally, you know, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, they got a zeal... For God, but not according to knowledge. Now, I don't know about you, but I take the Bible literally for many things. We've got a lot of, can I say, churches, the big C church, that I think they have got a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, that may hurt some feelings tonight. But I want to tell you tonight that it's because of what God has done. It's not by anything that we bring to the table. It's not by our work. And that's where Paul goes through this text so beautifully. But we have created in our world today the idea of what God is. You know, our society says that I know God. I'm okay with God. And they live like they want to live. As I told you last night, I'm honest. But when you read the Bible, the knowledge of God, the beginning, that that first knowledge of God, that revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He paid, it shows us that there is a holiness that resides with God that demands our respect, that demands our allegiance, that demands our submission, that it's not anything about us. And here was a group of people that Paul had been a part of. Remember, he was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a man that was so passionate about what he thought was God that he went about persecuting the church. He went about locking people up for their announcement of Jesus Christ and and the promotion of the gospel. And Paul thought that he was dead right. But you read Galatians 1, and you come down about three-quarters of the way to the end of the chapter, and all of a sudden, Paul says, but when it pleased God, he revealed himself strong in him. You know, in He revealed who Jesus was to him. All of a sudden, Paul had to lose religion. He had to depart from it, to submit his life to Christ. And all of a sudden, he was on a new road. We talked about it last night. He he offered God that blank check. Who are you, Lord, and what would you have me to do? Well, he he found out who the Lord was. And then he went on to serve the Lord for whatever God desired. And so now... You know, as we look in this text tonight, he says that his brothers, the Jews, that they bear, he bears record of them, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. But look at what he says in verse 3. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. The righteousness of God. When you think about the word righteousness, what does it mean? It means acting in accordance with divine moral law free from guilt or sin, the quality of being morally right or justifiable. He says, so they bear a record, that, or he says, I bear a record of them, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know, when I read that verse, I underlined a lot of things. One, you can have zeal and not know God. You can get so caught up in the work of the church and, and the things of the church and the things that are very religious and not know Jesus. And we have to be careful because what were the Jews? I, just plain talk. The Jews, they had the temple. They had the worship services. They had those that served in a priestly role. They had those who who led the teaching of the Word. They looked real religious. And they were passionate about it. You know, they'd get all upset if, if somebody didn't wash their hands, you know, before they did certain things, or if somebody came in and defiled the temple, they had to cleanse it and all the other stuff. So they were very zealous about what they were doing. But Paul said they had a knowledge, but not of God's righteousness. So they were all about showing their works and showing what they were doing. And when we look at this, you know, it tells me that you know, there is a righteousness that God rejects. And so many people today, they put on an air of self-righteousness that... We're good enough because of things that we do. You know, people want to treat God as something less than God. They want to make Him into their image, the one that they want to worship. But God is God. God is the one that demands righteousness and holiness. And when we look at God for who He is, And then we look at Jesus Christ, the revelation of of God's Son throughout the Scripture. And then we see the cross and we see the payment for the sin that we all have. You know what it reveals is that wrath of God is so intense and so powerful that even God Himself, when He poured out that wrath upon His very own Son, God had to look away. That's how holy He is. Who was it, Isaiah, that said, you know, when he caught just a glimpse, he said, I was as a man undone because I I, I wasn't right. And I live among a people that wasn't right. You know, but do we have that kind of fear today of God? I think we've lost the reverence for God in our world, in our country, in our nation, in our churches. Because if we really feared God, it would drive us to our knees. We would have a different walk, a different attitude. You know, when we came through the doors to worship, it would be worship. Realizing that God through His Son spared us that wrath. And we could come in with a joyful heart and we could praise God. But so many times we get caught up in the the rituals and the routines And we don't come in a spirit of true worship. And that's what you know the Jews were doing. They were they were caught up in that routine. You think I'm I'm cutting up, but but I'm being serious. You change the order in the bulletin. And you tell people we're not going to sing any songs this week. We're just going to move some things around and where everybody's going to sit in a different place. You create chaos in a Baptist church. Don't you? I mean, really? We're in the routine. We're in the rut. We have to be careful not to get caught up just in that routine, making sure that, you know, that we're not just doing things out of our, our own righteousness and looking very religious. You know, and so Paul, you know, he talks about, he says, they were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. But then he has these words. And this is where I think we struggle today. He says, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now I want to stop right there just for a minute and back up to Romans 1. Submitted. You know, if you're submitted to the righteousness of God, you understand that you're simply a servant of the Most High God. That you're you're called by God to fulfill His purpose in your life. Well, let's look. Very quickly, what did Paul say in Romans 1.14? He said, I am a debtor. How would you define your relationship with God tonight? You know, when, when you're in a relationship, you know, for the younger people, you know, that are dating and stuff, you know, when you hear the words define our relationship, you know, it brings panic. But when you say, really, define your relationship with God, is it any less than a debtor, any less than a servant, any less than whole submission to God? Because that's what God requires. Because He's God and we're just simply a vessel that He may use for for something. And so Paul, he viewed himself as a debtor. He said both to the Greeks, the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And he said, so as much as in me am, he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. And he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But now notice what he says in verse 17. He says, For therein, he's talking about the gospel, it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'm going to go back to our text now over in Romans 10. But you see that there's the revelation of the wrath of God that we see throughout the Scriptures that was poured out upon Jesus Christ Himself. You know, when Paul goes on in that first chapter talking about, you know, how... He turns men over. You know, He gives them up to their vile affections and their passions and men begin to do all kind of different things that are ungodly. But when you think about the world and our society today, I think about in this text that, you know, they were going about to establish their own righteousness because there was a refusal to submit themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know, John says in 1 John chapter 2, I think it's chapter 2, verse 4 somewhere along in there. You know, it says that if we don't obey, you know, if we continue to practice sin and with no regard for God, you know, then we're really not His children. There should be a conviction of sin in our life. And there should be a desire to want to be holy. And there should be a walk in our life to always pursue God. Well, we live in a world that says I can live any way I want to and I'm still good, I'm covered under grace and I'm saved. But that's not the God of the Scripture. Have we created a false gospel today where people just create this image of God and then they pursue it? Because the God of the Bible reveals to us that one, sin has to be paid for. Two, that it costs God something tremendously to pay that sin debt. But through God's mercy and grace, you know, He allowed His Son to be payment for our sin. And then He raised Him from the grave. And now He's at the right hand of God the Father making intercessions for us. But we should be aware how much it cost God to redeem us. And what Paul, it was such a burden on his heart that he said, you know, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Because he said, I see them doing something that is not going to be beneficial on the day of salvation. Because he says, they go about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For the, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. What we realize is this, that God demands perfection. And none of us in this room are perfect. And none outside of these walls are perfect. But that's what God demands. He demands perfection. And so He sent His Son. The one that could fulfill the law. The one that could keep everything perfectly. Imagine this you got a a chain and one end is attached to heaven. And the other dangles over hell. And there's ten links, each link being a commandment. And God is holding the scissors. And He says, okay, you want to take it on your own and you want to live in your own righteousness in your own way? I've got the scissors right here over the chain. You break a commandment and I snap the chain. How many has ever broken one commandment? Thank God for Jesus. Amen. You know, but these Jews, they couldn't see that because they had rejected Him. You know, that's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem when He came in on that Palm Sunday. He said, because they knew not the day of, their visitate, of His visitation. And so we see that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. But now Paul takes this and he goes and he does this comparison, if you will. He's told us that there is a a law for righteousness to everyone that believes in Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. But you remember these Jews, they were all about works and they were all about what they could do. And so he says now in verse 5, he says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And Paul is referencing Leviticus 18.5 there. But he's talking about if you say that you're going to live by the law, you better be able to live perfectly. And so he's wanting them to see, so he's making this argument. He says you need to understand. If you want to hang your hat on the law, then it's got to be perfect. Because that's the only thing that God is going to accept. And then he says in verse 6, he says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. He says, Say not in thy heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Now think about what Paul's doing. Paul, he's talking here to people, to the Jews that would understand that they're about works. He says, okay, how unrealistic is this? How many of you through your own works can go up to heaven and get a God that's holy and perfect and bring Him down upon this earth? Or yet, how many of you can go down into the pits of the earth, down to the deepest part of the earth and bring Christ up again from the dead? When you're talking about works for the human, that's an impossibility. There's no way I can reach up to heaven and get God to come down. I certainly can't influence Him enough. I can't demand enough because He's God. I can't can't go up there and get Him. Well, I certainly can't go down into the grave and into the deep and get this one down here and pull Him up and make Him come alive again. You know, that's an impossibility for us humans. But God can, and He did through His Son, Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, you've got God in flesh. Emmanuel, the one that was born to be the Redeemer of all of mankind for those that would put their faith and trust in Him. And what did the Jews do? They rejected Him. They would have no part of Him, and they went about to establish their own righteousness. You know, the religious elite of the day were the ones that killed Christ. So we see, you know, Paul, he's, he's trying to get them to understand that you're incapable of doing what you need to do to find the favor with God. You'll never be able to do it. And then he says in verse 8, he says, But what saith it? He says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. It was a proclamation. What Paul preached was good news. It was, it was a word that came that brought hope. You know, that's exactly what the gospel is. It's good news. It's good news that we don't have to be perfect. Our strive and our want to be is always To be perfect, but we can't be because we're human. And Paul wanted them to understand that look, the only perfect one is Jesus Christ because he fulfilled the law. He showed us what true love looked like, he showed us what true humility looked like. Even when you, Jews, took him of your own will and you put him on a cross and you hung him suspended between heaven and hell. What did He do? He prayed for your forgiveness. He prayed that you would be revealed who He was. You know, He says the Word. He said, it is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. So we come to God understanding the grace of God because we're saved by grace through faith. That's the way we come because of what God did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God was thinking about us before we were ever made, before we were ever formed. God already knew that man would fall. And He knew that man would always struggle. And so He gave a provision. He gave the hope. He gave His Son. And through the words and through the pages... Of the Bible that we read today, we see Christ revealed. The plan of redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He said, it's nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word that we preach. And now He tells us in verse 9, He says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt Be saved. You know, it starts with a confession and a belief in who Jesus was and who He is. And He says that it's very nigh you. And He says, if you believe in thine heart... He's not talking about the, the organ there that beats inside of your chest. What He's talking about is the entirety of your being. When you believe that He's God, God in flesh that He's perfect, that He's holy, He's pure. It's going to change who you are. Because when you receive Him as Lord, you understand there is a reverence there. You understand there's a holiness there. You understand that every time you sin, you understand what it costs Christ. And it's going to break your heart and it's going to be conviction upon your soul. Because what's necessary... You know, for a changed life is the Spirit and the Word of God because we are saved at the point that we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and accept Him as Lord when we make that submission to Him as Lord of our life. But then it takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God as we go through the sanctification process, as Christ prunes us and refines us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said... Going back to verse 9, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He says for with the heart the whole being of man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And for Paul, he wasn't ashamed because Paul understood what he had in Christ. He understood that it was no longer his battle, that the victory had been won through great payment of what God paid. But as a result of that victory and as a result of what he received through Christ in him, all of a sudden he was now a debtor. He was no longer one that was isolated, one that was a child of wrath, separated from God. But now he came into agreement with God that God, your son, is perfect, that your son is living, your son is holy, and God, he's imputed your righteousness into me. And as a result of what I've received, God, I am going to be your servant forever. And he went forth and he made a difference. Not because of who he was. Because what did Paul say? He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But then he also said you know, that he kept reaching forth you know, for the prize that lay before him. Because he knew that he hadn't obtained anything on his own. He just knew that he was the chiefest of sinners, as he described himself, that he was striving for that mark that awaited him in Jesus Christ when Christ returned, when God would take him and he would be complete. He would be without sin. He would be with Christ forever. You know, all of this text tonight deals with the fact that we can't get there on our own. You know, Paul uses some great words and some great language in there, but it all boils down to this. You can't get there on your own. Put it in southern language that we can understand. You can't do it. You can't live good enough. You'll, you'll never be good enough. But yet it's so close that he said, even in your mouth. You know, it comes with a simple confession. Lord, I submit to you as Lord of my life. I acknowledge you, God, as being holy. I acknowledge you, God, as being sovereign. And God, I just accept your payment for my sin. And God, I ask that you cleanse me from my sin and create in me a pure heart, a heart that's righteous. God, impute into me what's not in me. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's where Paul came to. You know, he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You know, tonight, you know, the message is just simply this. You know, faith in Christ alone. We have to understand that's that's what we have. But yet, it should change us. So look at your life. If there's been no change, maybe there's no Christ. Because when Christ comes into a life, He's not going to let you stay the same. He's going to move you and prune you and work you and refine you into the image of His Son. You know, Paul was a man on a mission. And he was a difference maker. You know, what will we be? You know, we say that we're children of God, that we're saved. And if we are, what are we doing? You know, because Jesus Himself said, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, You'll know them by the fruit that they bear. He was talking about the trees. What fruit are you bearing? Do you know Jesus tonight? I mean, do you really know Him personally and intimately? And if you say that I don't know Him, I've never surrendered my life totally to Him. You know, it's simply just bowing your head and asking Him to come into your life as Lord. We're going to have a moment of invitation here. And Jody and them are going to come and I guess Jody's going to lead the singing and Miss Dana's going to play. But I just pray tonight. I just pray above everything else that we get our hearts right with God. We say we want revival. But are we willing to surrender? Because it said they had not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. Let's submit everything to God. Everything, everything that we have to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for its truth. And God, I just pray tonight, God, that you would just... God, just touch hearts and souls. God, I don't know what you want to accomplish here tonight, but but God, I just pray that if there's one lost... God, maybe there's one that came into this place tonight struggling. God, feel like they've worked their whole life trying to do what's right. But God... None of us are good enough. God, we fall completely upon the mercy and the grace of God. And God, we just call upon your name in faith, God, asking you to come in to save our life, God, to to make us right by what you impute into us, your righteousness and your holiness. And God, if there's one here tonight that is struggling, God, if there's one that doesn't know you, God, just touch that heart. Let them feel the love of God, the peace of God. God, the Spirit of God upon them. God, if there's some here that have just gotten out of your will and way, God, I just pray tonight, God, that they would come back and and get right with you. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you for the people. Thank you for the ones that turned aside to be here tonight. God, just bless this invitation time, we pray. Amen.